Premier Christian Newscast. Joshua Sutcliffe, it seems, cannot stop getting into trouble. The Christian teacher has been fired twice from two separate schools and also prosecuted for street preaching during the pandemic lockdown. And now he's just been banned from teaching anywhere for two years by the teacher's regulation agency for refusing to use the preferred pronouns of a trans student and sharing his opposition to gay marriage during a maths class. Sutcliffe claims he's simply trying to live out and share the gospel, telling everyone from his pupils to teachers to passers-by in the street, all the way up to the audience of Piers Morgan's TV show, the truth about their sin and their need for Jesus. But the firebrand Christian, only aged 33, has consistently hit up against institutions which consider him to be overly aggressive and even bigoted in his evangelism. Is he a victim of a Britain which has turned its back on Christianity and is trying to silence the gospel? Should the church embrace controversial and outspoken figures like Sutcliffe and support his legal efforts to fight back? Or has the mass teacher lost sight of the Jesus he seeks to proclaim and fallen down a rabbit hole of culture war squabbling and gratuitous offensiveness? I'm Tim Wyatt and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week we hear from Sutcliffe himself and consider what his story might tell us about persecution, graciousness and how to live well in a society which increasingly finds evangelical faith bizarre and threatening. that there is one way into heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. This is an urgent plea with your spirit, man. I'm not just talking to your minds. I'm talking to your spirit, to your heart, that you might be awoken from the death of this generation, that you might be shaken out of the depths of darkness and into the glorious light of the kingdom of God. That was Sutcliffe a few years ago, shouting through a megaphone on the street as he urged passers-by to turn to Christ. The 33-year-old is actually a bundle of contradictions. He's urgent in your face in his public preaching, but a surprisingly mild-mannered and calm in interviews. Born the son of a pastor, he says he drifted from the faith in his teens before coming back to God in his 20s, just as he began working in schools for the first time. Ever since, he's been unable to stop himself from speaking out on contentious topics, from gay marriage to transgender ideology to whether adultery should be criminalised. After twice being fired from schools over his fiercely held views and refusal to stay quiet about them, he's recently been barred from teaching for two years by the regulator, which concluded he had failed to treat his pupils with dignity and to safeguard their well-being. In an interview with Premier Christianity's Sam Hales, Sutcliffe insisted he was not a controversialist for the sake of it, and nor was he damaging the image of the church. Instead, he said, he is the victim of a society and culture which wants to root out orthodox traditional Christianity from within it at all costs. Sam began by asking about the detail of the case against him by the teacher's regulator. I wanted to talk um, specifically about the case and, and the judgment that's come through. You've had a lot of publicity um, really around, around the facts of this case, which is that you were accused of misgendering a pupil. That's then led to a led to a process where you've been suspended from teaching. And having looked through that that judgment, 
Uh, one of the claims is that you said that you were against gay marriage, but you said this during a maths lesson. Do you accept that that's what happened? Um, is that one of the, sorry, was that one of the claims in the press or in the actual? Um, in the report. Tale? In yeah. the report. Um, my recollection is that I said that in the Bible club and it was shortly after that, that the Bible club was shut down by the school. Um, you know, for saying that um, the, the problem is that the pupils themselves are are adamant in this that you could have only said that in a maths lesson because the pupils are saying we never attended this Bible club, and yet we can remember our teacher making these comments about gay marriage and other other matters. So, are those pupils lying? Yes, they are. It came out in the evidence that one of the students was. Um, close friends with someone who had attended the Bible club. It also came out in the evidence that those students um, went attended an LGBT Pride March, um, which I was at handing out Christian leaflets. And um, that 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 came out from both the students um, that that was a turning point in realizing that I had um, strong Christian convictions. So, you know, you, you, you can imagine that these students had an agenda. Um, which was to get rid of the Christian. And, um, you know, as I say, especially after um, seeing me hand out Christian leaflets at the Pride March, which was in the June of that year. Um, because prior to that, I mean, the, the, the student in question actually came into my class, um, you know, quite a while before that. Um, I think it was like February or something. So, um you know, those students had an agenda, which, you know, they didn't like me very much. They didn't like my Christian views very much. And they soon found out um, what my Christian views um, were by by word of mouth and so on. Um, and, you know, the accounts of, of these so-called conversations were so loose. Um, it was it was it was actually shocking how how loose they were. But obviously, you know, the allegations stood because. Um, you know, the TRA, you know, they, um, you know, they too didn't, don't like Christian beliefs very much, you could say. I think um, it's interesting what you say about it being loose. And I think it's helpful, actually, to, to talk about the specifics of, of the language, because I do think that's important. Because the, the judgment alleges that you claim someone had, quote, stopped being gay through God. Now, that's a recollection of a conversation. Can you tell me, perhaps in a bit more detail, exactly what you did say? Did you use those former words that someone had stopped being gay through God? Um, well, that's, again, not words that I would use. Um, and again, through hearsay, because um, all these conversations, I mean, I was running Bible Club three lunchtimes a week. And, you know, so that was the forum to discuss those issues in, in the mass classes. Um, we stayed very much on task. Um, and if students found out I was Christian or wanted to ask me about Christian things, I would say, just come along to the Bible club, you know where it is. And so, you know, before long, you know, these this information spread around the school about, um, you know, I did have a, ro a roommate that, um, you know, once lived a gay, gay lifestyle and decided to leave that lifestyle and take up his cross and follow Jesus and um, decided that he, he wasn't going to live that way anymore. So um, that element is true, but 
um, where the students heard it, um, you yeah. know, I think is up for debate. I think that's the crux of the issue, isn't it, with the whole case, is if you were saying these things about homosexuality, gender in a Bible club, now correct if I'm wrong, but I don't think there would have been an issue. I don't think this case would have ever gone any further. I, it seems to me from reading the judgment, the issue is what's been alleged is these comments were made in a maths class or in um, in a separate classroom setting that wasn't a Bible club. Yeah, I think that's certainly something that the TRA, um, you know, made decisions on. Um, but obviously, if you go to a criminal court, the evidence was, you know, it would be dismissed in an instant. But the TRA, um, you know, they they had discretion. Um, you know, like I say, had I really focused on these, um, you know, theological points and all the rest of it in lessons, nothing would, ever would have got done. So um, yeah. that's why, I mean, obviously the whole case is about the, t you know, the misgendering. But really, for me, it was about shutting down the Bible club. I thought that was an absolute disgrace. And I was just so upset about that um, because I just thought it was such a, I thought it was such an appropriate forum you know, to discuss these things and students could come on their own volition. Um, um, so <laughs> I know obviously, you know, it's such a topical issue, the transgender stuff and that, you know, whether we should, how we should approach it as a society, as Christians and so on. And I understand that, but, and you know, but for me, it few, really was... yes, I understand. A few moments ago, you said that these pupils would, were lying when they said that you made comments in a maths class, you made them in a, in a Bible class. Are you alleging then that in the same way that these pupils have, have lied, was there also a vendetta from these same pupils to get the Bible club shut down in the first place? Is that what you're alleging? Yeah, well, uh, from that group of friends, they came into the Bible club, um, you know, and they'd been in a few times and asked the same question. Well, I mean, it, yeah. And then, you know, they're saying, what do Christians think about marriage? What do Christians think about marriage? And, um, you know, eventually I said, after some consideration, I know you've seen me out in the preach and preaching and written the website, but actually, after some consideration, I thought, well, actually, you know, I, I thought, okay, Christian, this Christian teaching is that marriage is between a man and woman for life. And it was really that modest. And then the next day, the, the Bible club um, was shut down. And, um, yeah, and then obviously that spread around the school, you know, because those students complained. And then they told their friends that they got it shut down. And then, you know, the students probably realized, oh, we can get Mr. Sutcliffe. We don't like his views, da-da-da. And, um you know, and I, I obviously recognize that since then I've done a lot, you know, um, you know, it wasn't just that incident, but I think had the school handled that better, I'd probably still be up in Oxford. Another issue the regulator had with Sutcliffe was that after he lost his job over the supposed misgendering, the teacher was quickly on the sofa of the This Morning national TV show to discuss the issue, which the panel decided failed to uphold the pupil's well-being. But Sutcliffe said it was important to raise the issue for a national debate. I think that it was necessary for me to shine light on this issue. Um, the uh, student wasn't, you know, uh, there, there was no outing that needed to happen. The student, um, 
you know, like I said, had attended the Pride March and so on. So in terms of that thing, I think in that side of things, you know, I accept, I think there was no sort of outing in, in that regard. Um, with regards can to you see, but can you, but if you put yourself in the student's shoes for a minute, can you see how your teacher going on national television and talking about a situation which, if you're the student, you know exactly they're talking about you. And more than that, in your circle of friends at school, they know exactly what you're talking about. Can you see how that would create a very difficult environment for that student and their group of friends to see their teacher on national TV saying things about you? C can you see how from a safeguarding perspective, from protecting the, the emotional well-being of, of children, can you see how that action of going on TV will cause a problem? Um, well, I mean, to some extent, yes, I did, um, you know, say that at the hearing that, um, you know, I'm sorry to cause that student distress. Um, you know, that was never my intention. It was more my intention to talk about the issue of being forced to use pronouns at large. Um, but naturally, we did speak a bit about the particular incident. And, um, you know, I, I did actually say that in the hearing that and that was never my intention. But, um, you know, I do think that um, I was put in such a difficult position because I was put in, you know, basically detention, you know, for seven days. Um, and I was already very upset about the Bible club and I thought I'm not going to use the pronouns and it just made sense to tell my story and, um, you know, you know, I, I never really, I never would want to go. I didn't, I didn't am know. I, am I right in thinking at that point? So I understand upset the Bible club's being closed down, understand you're taking a stance on pronouns and issue of conscience. Am I right in thinking that there, there was a, a, a disciplinary or some kind of process going on with the school in that moment? There were meetings planned for you to talk about it. And, and that that route was open to you, but you chose not to go that route and you instead chose to go on national TV. Well, Is that a fair that, summary? Well, Sam, they're, they're judge, judges in their own case, a bit similar to the TRA. You know, the outlook wasn't bright. I could have, I could have, I could have written, I don't know, I could have written the best argument and, and all the rest of it and that wouldn't have made any difference for them. They didn't like me very much and they wanted me out. And the thing is, they, they, they um, you know, we came to, you know, um, we came to an agreement with the school and, you know, that was it in a line in the sand as far as I thought. But obviously the school and its community gave evidence in the TRA hearing. And so, um, you know, they're still after me in a sense, really. Um, so, you know, this this small dispute, well, this dispute of this school is, is essentially, you know, escalated again to where it's escalated, you know. Um, and, you know, the, the, the principal thing was about the pronouns. What that's, That was the school's case against me, was refusing to use the pronouns. And mm -hmm. so that's why in the media, again, I've said, well, it's all, it, it is about the pronouns because that's, the school wants me to use the pronouns. I'm not using the pronouns. And, um, you know, I think I think that it's not right to affirm people in these things. And um, and so here we are still, got, you know, and that the TRA obviously took the position of the school. Yeah, now, the, ju the judgment, the judgment said, um, said the, the panel therefore concluded on balance by failing to use pupil A's preferred pronouns. Mr. Sutcliffe had failed to treat pupil A with dignity and respect. 
and failed to safeguard their well-being. Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. I think um, that I do care about that student safeguarding, which is why I wasn't willing to, um, you know, affirm them in their um, wanting to transition. I mean, generally speaking, when you when you meet someone and they say, my name is Sam, we use the preferred name of that person we're, we're meeting. And, and I think for a lot of people, that's seen as a respect, a dignity and respect for me to refer to you in the way that you want to be referred. Why did you not feel able to do that in this case? Um, I did use the student's name. That's it. I mean, um, I think it's a stretch for us, Sam, to... Um, start all saying to each other that, you know, I'm Joshua, he, him, and all the rest of it, which is what a lot of these activists want us to do. Um, you know, I, I, it's fairly obvious what our, you know, for me, sex and gender are immutable, um, and, and they're, they're, they're synonyms. It's the same. It's the same thing. And um, you know, that usually those things are assumed, but we've got this um, pervading um, ideology. Um, uh, that we're all, you know, that people are sort of bullying us into into going along with, and um, you know, uh, you know, obviously since the actual incident, my strong Christian convictions have really, I've just thought, you know, what I'm just going to share my Christian worldview, and and you know, hence the YouTube channel, and hence the website, and hence everything else, and um, you know, all of those things actually weren't the things that the TRA made a judgment on. It was, um, um, you know, some things that happened, you know, with the, the, the things that we've been discussing so far. In his most recent TV appearance, Sutcliffe went on Piers Morgan's own quite controversial TV show to talk about his teaching ban and somehow ended up suggesting adulterers should receive the death penalty. Uh, I think that was the assumption Piers made, wasn't it? Um, what I was trying to say was that um, you know, quote Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, and I was trying to um, say that we will one day stand before um, a righteous and holy God, and uh, according to his law, um, we all deserve death, as in the wages of sin is death. So I was really trying to make a, you know, just trying to um, uh, teach like a biblical um you know idea um but i wasn't really able to finish and i wasn't really able to formulate my thoughts but um no i appreciate you asking me no i mean i've just tried to keep hold to what the bible says um on these things and um yeah and there's a difference between you know all sin separates and so ultimately all sin leads to death in a final form there's a difference between that and then saying in the here and now, today, in our legal system, people should be arrested and put to death now for adultery. So just checking, do you believe that people here in the here and now should be arrested and put to death for adultery? No, I think um, he was going from a political angle, wasn't he? Um, I do think, and um, I was going from more like a, a theological, you know, before God at the end of time angle. Um, but I do think that God's law should, um, you know, be, you know, for, for a nation to succeed, we should try and adhere to God's law. And obviously, um, to some extent, at the moment, we do have laws that reflect God's law, but so, uh, some of our other laws don't reflect God's law in such a way. So um, 
I do think that um, adultery is sinful and it should be punished, but um, probably not the death penalty. Um, you know, um, obviously that's converging a little bit into politics. Um, you know, maybe a fine or, or I'm not sure how how exactly um, one a nation. You know, if a nation was living by God's standards, I'm not sure exactly how um, some of these sins might be. Um, punished but um i do certainly know that if if a nation's law reflected god's law um um you know then we would flourish so um that would be my position um but do you think do you think do you think that's a view that most christians in the uk hold no i don't think so i don't think so i think um um on the whole um a lot of the laws are just accepted and um aren't really questioned but um, suppose, I suppose my point is when you go on a huge TV show with someone as well known as Piers Morgan and that clip then does the rounds, you have a number of people now thinking that the Christian view, and I know you weren't arguing this, but because of the way that interaction happened, a number of people think, oh, the Christian view is Christians think people should be put to death for adultery. Do you regret how that conversation went on talk TV because of the implications of it, of people now having a very false perception of what Christians actually believe on that issue? Well, I think um, I was just trying to relay that it's sinful. And um, obviously, you know, Piers Morgan's been in journalism for 30 years and I'm just a simple maths teacher. And I, I, um, I tried to um, share that I thought it was sinful and um, the wages of sin is death. So I'm hoping... Um, obviously before God, you know, um, so I'm hoping that, um, you know, I gave an account, you know, I don't, I just want to live right by what God says and what what the Bible teaches. And, um, you know, all I can do is my best. Obviously, um, there'll be some people within the Christian community that disagree with um, how I said it and so on. But, um, you know, it's a very difficult situation to be in. Um, and it is a difficult position to be in. It's a very difficult position to be in. But is there not a sense of regret from you that because of the way that interaction went, people now have a, a very false perception of of Christians? Because people who have watched that clip now think, oh, there are Christians who believe that I should be put to death for committing adultery. That's not the kind of perception we want the mainstream world to have of Christians, is it? Um. Well, I think that we need to try and be sincere to what the Bible teaches. So um, I tried to be sincere to what the Bible teaches. And um, I realized that um, it could have been taken out of context what I was saying. But I was trying to relay um, Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. I tried to I tried to describe penal substitution. I said it on the day because I wasn't able to share with him the, the full extent of what that means. You know, like like I say, Sam, it's a very difficult situation to be in, and I try my I try my best, and I try my best, right? You know, b- before God, and God knows my heart, and you know, I want I want people to know the um, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You know, that the, the sacrifice of God's only Son on, on that cross. You know, I tried, I tried. Yes. Premier Christian Newscast. Christian Newscast.
Despite his travails, Sutcliffe appears to remain unbowed. He said he would soon launch appeal against the regulator's ruling and hoped Christian liberty would be upheld. But in an earlier interview with Sam, Sutcliffe said he was actually more angry at the church for failing to join him in speaking out against sin than with those who have persecuted him. Naturally, one is angry towards um, people who dis- disagree. And, 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 but I think really my heart is, um, you know, that, that people would be saved first and foremost from, um, you know, unrighteousness and, and, and from hell ultimately. And, and so I kind of, I just try and set, I try and set my, my, my emotions according to the word. And, um, you know, I, I try not to hold anger um, or anything like that, I think. Um, what, 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 you know, looking at the wider point, Sam, of, of the church sort of speaking about these things, I think, you know, if every church goer (laughs) in the NHS and in the schools and in the, you know, in, um, you know, just general workplaces and, you know, the accounting office and wherever was able to just share the Christian position on on sexual ethics and and even the orthodoxy, you know, when comparing Christianity to Islam and uh, other uh, belief systems, and I think if 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 the church, I, probably my gaze focuses more towards, oh come on, brother and sister, let's stand together, and I think if we if we did that more, we'd find that people um, that, that society would be more familiar with, you know. Um, so probably um, my anger, not maybe anger is a bit strong, but my, my thoughts go towards that rather than um, society at large. You know? Yeah. So you feel like if uh, if it was more common for Christians to talk about some of these more difficult or sensitive issues, then it might create an easier cultural climate for people like yourself to to hold the jobs that you did, I suppose, is what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So why do you think Christians do, in your opinion, avoid some of the difficult issues? Is it is it just fear? Uh, I think maybe partly. I think probably, um, yeah, fear of man, maybe. Um, I think you know it does come from practice. You don't you don't um, start with, you know, the bold street preaching. You start with sharing with a close family friend or something like that, and. You know, so I just encourage your listeners to just, you know, just start taking those small steps, you know, um, and, and, you know, it will, it, will, you're right, it will build up. Sam then asked why his street preaching was so strident and loud, given he was in person actually quite softly spoken. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I am just very simple and gentle and, and you know, I, I don't, um, you know, I just, I think in that um, environment, you kind of want people to to turn and, and you, you, you just you know you long for them to to just receive some of the truths that you're speaking and, and so obviously that manifests in the shouting and the megaphone and bits and bobs but you say it's um, an eagerness for for people to to repent to become christians it, it, you say it's an eagerness out, out of love but do you not think the style of that kind of communication to the average person it doesn't come across in a loving way if there's someone with a megaphone shouting do you, do you not think it's 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 rare it's rare for street preaching in that sense to be received in a good way, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. Interesting um, position, a thought there, Sam. I, I think um, really the the reason for 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 me to do what I'm doing is to 
draw attention um, and hopefully um, people can, can, can stand and listen to uh, the words and, and um, pick up a Bible and, um, you know, it's, I, I, it's different. Uh, you know, because obviously in a classroom and you've got 10 students that want to read through John 1, that's a different dynamic, isn't it? And, you know, we, I suppose I, my mind goes to the, to the word where it says, you know, shout from the rooftops and, you know, um, proclaim the praises of God. And, and in a sense, that takes a bit of declaration and, and singing maybe in the public space and, you know. I, I guess street preaching for me at least falls more under the category of, of evangelism when I think of think of the biblical text about that I, I think of how we're instructed to share the hope within us with gentleness and respect and I, I suppose that's my point is do you not think that in a street with a megaphone does it come across as gentleness and respect uh you know my instant my, my instant thoughts are um you know I do feel like the public proclamation um is an important uh, part of the body of Christ, and um, you know, and I do try and I do try and be gentle. In part, obviously, you are on a megaphone, but you know, I try I try to make it engaging. Sutcliffe has now been in the national media three times for butting up against COVID lockdown restrictions, transgender policy in schools, and another row over calling Muhammad a false prophet. Is he just super unlucky, or actively looking for trouble? Well, I think from my from my youth, um, I've been sharing the faith, and and I think uh, that foundation is there. That I, I, you know, first and foremost, we live for God, and and I suppose, um, you know, all the normal fears. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone, by the way. I'm just saying that I think that 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 kind of that kind of fear that comes about just sharing and telling and, and talking about it is is not as prominent. You know, first and foremost, I want people to know about the righteousness of God found in Christ. And, and so, um, you know, I've, I've just been sharing uh, that and I, I try and stay focused on that. And, and, and the things that result in that, you know, so be it. Um, yeah. You, you, know. you say you want to share the, the righteousness of God as found in Christ. That's a nice, neat little definition of the gospel that I'm sure a lot of people would be with you completely on. But some would also say... Well, yeah, if you want to share the righteousness of God as found in Christ, you don't need to stand on the street and talk about how Muhammad was a false prophet. Mm -hmm. You don't need to talk about transgender or abortion. You can just talk about the righteousness of God as found in Christ. Why do you even need the, why do you feel the need to go there is what some might say. Yeah, interesting. I think what is righteousness, Sam? You know, well, it is, you know, right thinking and right living. Well, what's right thinking, right living? And, you know, you carry on down that road and um, these things come to a head. You know, I've been thinking recently, uh, you know, to what level do we talk about um, some of these things, you know, in the, in the public domain. And I think, you know, for different people, it might be different focuses. Some might find that life is from conception and others, you know, don't want pornography to be so prominent in our society. Um, you know, I do think that the church needs to be really equipped on a lot of these issues. You know? I, I hear what you're saying. There comes a point in our explanation of our faith where you're right, you will hit some of these more culturally tricky issues, let's say. I guess what I'm saying is, but do you need to start in that place? Do you need to start with here are, you know, some of the most controversial areas of Christian theology? And that's that's where I'm going to that's what I'm going to lead with. It's, it's a question of 
of approach, I suppose. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think, um, I think some people will hear that as the leading thing. Um, but I, I mean, if you look at my website, I, I mean, it, it doesn't have many viewers, but I, the opening page is the full. <laughs> God is creator. Jesus is our salvation. Yes. But yeah. So I, I think I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still quite prominent with the more difficult issues because actually at the top of the website, it says abominations and under abominations, you've listed pornography and, <laughs> yeah. you know, so uh, and abortion and Islam and other things. So mm. you're not exactly, uh, is, are you not to a certain extent leading with the difficult issues, even in the way you've set up your, your site? Yeah, you're right. It's right there. Finally, Sam then asked how Sutcliffe coped with the criticism and even abuse he's received as a result of his work. Yeah, I have had all sorts of things said to me online and, and you know, even as you know go go die in a pit kind of stuff you know um and um you know ultimately i just think um if it's all well and good being behind a computer screen and you know i think what a lesson i learned when i was younger um you know because when i was about 13 i would share with i went to an old boys school and i used to share with the people in the school like it's quite often you know all the precious knowledge of the lord jesus christ turned to him and you know all this and you can imagine in an all boys school in england and um i got bullied actually and um people you know people with a couple of fights and one time someone poured curry on my head and you know they weren't very nice and um i my my mom actually said you know what um, ultimately, if you're living, you know, if you're living for Christ, you can expect all sorts of things, you know, you, um, but we live for him. And, um, you know, because you, you remind, you know, remember Jesus went to death, didn't he? And um, so, so I just kind of count, count it all as uh, part of, of our, of the race and, and, you know, doesn't it say blessed are those who are persecuted, you know, in, in, in the Beatitudes? So Now, as I say, I think be- because Christians do take different views on some of the issues that, that you've been caught up in, I imagine there's probably been a bit of that as well. Has that been particularly hard where you felt like Christians or the church at large hasn't quite got it? At times, yeah. I think I've got a real strong circle of, of you know, uh, good friends and um, my wife supports me fully um, as well and um so i I, i'm i'm pleased to have that network i think beyond that um i think you know if people don't know you you know like you like you mentioned today sam you almost have a view don't you oh i bet he's like this and i bet he's a bit and 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 so you know you kind of um don't take those things too seriously but i always try and refine um i always really try and refine what I'm doing and I do want it to be honoring to the Lord you know I don't do it for a scene or for you know, all, you know this that and the other I do want to ultimately glorify God and, yeah. and, and point to him so so I do try and wrestle with them you know where work from whomever these things come from and, and yes so I suppose you're, you're, in, a, in other words you're not looking to cause trouble that's not the motive no not at all no Nevertheless, though, do you, do you think there will be other cases involving you? I mean, we've mentioned three of them today. 
do you do you think you know whether whether you want there to be or not do you think if you carry on doing the sorts of work and evangelism you're involved in do you, do you think something like this some sort of trouble is going to come around the corner at some point in the future uh, it may well i think um you know um preachers are arrested sometimes aren't they and um you know um who knows where we'll go in the next 20 years but I'll try and be faithful to God in this word. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. I still wanted to understand a bit more about the broader questions around persecution and Christianity in the public square in 21st century Britain, so I recently sat down with Sam to talk about Sutcliffe's case and the issues it raises in more detail. So Sam, you, you've spoken with Joshua Sutcliffe several times now. How would you say he comes across? I think people just reading about what he's got up to would presume he's, he's a bit of a firebrand. Yes, it's very interesting because you're right, when you look at the cases that he's been involved in, and his views, certainly, he comes across very strong-minded, very opinionated. But when you meet him, he's very softly spoken, he's very gentle, and he talks a lot about, look, I, I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm a, I think he said to me a couple of times during one of our conversations, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. And he does actually come across that way. He comes across as very gentle, very well-considered, uh, speaks quite slowly. Um, not not a figure who is deliberately trying to be polarizing, perhaps, but I think he is a figure who, because of his beliefs, has found himself in the middle of some media storms because his views are, um, I don't want to say extreme. I think that might be unfair to him, but I would certainly say a lot of his views are on on the end of the Christian spectrum that are not mainstream. I'll put it that way. Um, some of his beliefs are not what I would call mainstream, even mainstream evangelical Christianity. He's he's on he's on the kind of extreme end of that, and so he's found himself in in trouble in the media um, with his job. But in terms of his personality, he actually comes across very gentle. Mm. You pushed him quite hard in your interview recently on on some of the specifics of the case against him by the teaching regulator. Was that because you were worried that he, or, or maybe I guess the Christian Legal Centre who were kind of promoting and supporting him, might be exaggerating the kind of persecution angle and kind of over-egging his victimhood? There is a criticism from some Christians of the Christian Legal Centre and Christian Concern that, that, that there's exaggerations, that you, as you say, Tim, exaggeration of, are Christians really persecuted? And we at Premier Christianity, we, we've unpacked that question a few times. We've looked at that question of, are Christians in the UK persecuted? Is that the right language? Is that what's really going on in these cases? And I would say that the Christian community is, is generally quite divided on that question. I meet some Christians who say, it's terrible that we have these street preachers or these teachers, whoever they are, being dragged before the court. This is an infringement of our rights. We need to stand up. Good on Christian concern for standing up for these people. Somebody has to. And I meet other people who say, I, I just think this is exaggerated. I think if we as Christians were a bit more winsome, a bit more um, gentle, a bit more careful, a bit more understanding of the culture in which we live in, these cases wouldn't come about. Uh, and I think there has been a, an attitude from some Christians that say that these people more or less bring it on themselves through just being quite unwise in the way they act. And so I wanted to find out from Joshua what exactly happened here were you looking for a fight were you looking for this to be a big media storm were you deliberately acting outside of the bounds of what you were required as a teacher do you have any regrets and I was interested um 
although he is very gentle and softly spoken, it's quite clear that Joshua doesn't have any regrets at all in the way he's acted. He's not apologising for any of this. Um, he's really doubling down. And, and I was actually quite surprised that he would then go down the route of effectively blaming the students, effectively saying these students had a vendetta against me and were deliberately trying to hound me out because I'm a Christian teacher. So is your take that he is that he genuinely authentically believes that he's just trying to be faithful to God and all these bad things just keep happening because of we live in a kind of hostile environment? Or do you think there's a part of him that believes that he has a duty as a Christian to kind of confront sin, to not be a bystander? I think it's both of those things. Um, he's a he's a street preacher in his spare time. He has a particular view of the gospel and of communication he has this particular view of society. It was very interesting. Before I spoke to him, he went on Piers Morgan and was uh, suggesting in that interview that those who commit adultery should be given uh, the death penalty. Now, now it's interesting watching that clip back, because if you're a Christian watching that clip back, you can kind of see what Joshua is trying to do, which is he, what he's trying to say is all sin ultimately leads to death. Um, the wages of sin is death, which is a completely legitimate theological position. The problem is, is the way it came across for Piers Morgan, it made it sound like he wanted to actually give the death penalty in the here and now to people who commit any kind of sin. And so when I spoke to him, I, I kind of wanted to address that. Uh, but again, rather than kind of walking that back and saying, well, well, yes, I was trying to make a theological point. He then added, well, maybe a fine for adulterers, not not the death penalty, but maybe we should fine them. So you can see he has this particular view of the Bible and society, which I think is a radical one, that all of our laws today should match up with some of the Old Testament laws. Now, you know, most Christians don't hold that position. They differentiate between the old covenant and what Israel required to do and the new covenant and grace and an understanding perhaps of how that might be different in our whereas I think for Joshua it's it's very fundamentalist it's very black and white well if the bible says that we should uh give the death penalty for people for sin then maybe we'll take a bit of that because then you know the UK will be following biblical laws so you know it, it's an unusual position but it's one that he genuinely holds um but of course if you're going to hold those positions in the media as a teacher, you are going to run into problems. And there are th there'll be those who say, isn't that terrible? We as Christians are being persecuted. But I think a fairer analysis is, as Christians, first of all, we have to get our theology right and debate well, what is the best way of understanding uh, laws today. Uh, but, but secondly, as well, are we going to act in a way that wins people to what we believe and act in a way that, that secular society can understand? Or are we going to continue to cut across them, even with the language we use? Um, and I don't think Joshua and those like him care too much about that pragmatic argument. I don't think they care too much about what well, I want to come across well. He just sees it as, well, I just want to be faithful to God. And if that means I come across badly, then so be it. Hmm. I mean, as you were saying there, it strikes me that, you know, even we as evangelical Christians, if we came across a kind of radical fundamentalist islamic group which said that they believed sharia law should be copy and pasted into the british statutes and we should you know that would be un unambiguously described as extremism uh and and yet we maybe we kind of special pleading for for when when christians are asking for something a bit similar um w most british christians as you say would have a much less confrontational stance even if they might also disagree like Joshua does with some of the social changes we've seen in culture around sexuality and gender they they don't want to be kind of antagonistic do you think that is wise or is it just kind of cowardice and a desire for an easy life 
I think that's a, that's a huge discussion going on right now, as you say, within evangelical spaces. And, you know, I, I do I do think one particular side of that argument has won in that I think the more pragmatic side is what you see. You know, if you look at the the well-known Christian speakers and the well-known Christian charities and the well-known churches, they've taken a pragmatic approach, which has been to say, well, let's not even talk about sexuality. Let's not go there on the hard issues. Let's play it a bit safe. Um, you know, I think this is probably summed up in if you look at um, you look at the Alpha Course and Nicky Gumbel, it's, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that someone like Nicky Gumbel has deliberately steered clear of the hard issues because he wants to protect the brand of Alpha. It's a pragmatic position that says, I don't want to be in the press talking about some of the difficult things that Christians believe. I want to be completely open so that anyone can come and do Alpha and we don't get any bad publicity around that because of the pragmatic argument of thousands of people becoming Christians through the Alpha Course. We have to protect it. And I think that pragmatic argument has won to a certain degree. Now, there are those who, who strongly disagree with that. And I think Joshua Sutcliffe and some of those involved in Christian concern represent that form of evangelical Christianity that's effectively trying to call the church back to, look, you're not going to be liked in a secular society. Stop trying to be liked. Stop trying to be like the world. Just own what you believe. And we need to be a bit bolder and a bit braver. And, and I do see that side rightly critiquing the, the overly pragmatic. But I think it's a it's a genuine discussion happening in the church right now. And we speak to people on both sides of that divide. And, you know, it's not been completely settled yet. I think I think what we probably can all agree on is I don't think it's going to become any easier anytime soon to hold Christian beliefs around sexuality and gender. And so I think that debate will have to run. And I don't know exactly how it will conclude. Because I think the danger for the pragmatists is you end up compromising. Uh, and the danger for the kind of more radicals is that is that Christianity doesn't get a hearing because we get written off as as a bunch of loonies. Um, so it's a very tricky one. And I think both sides have something to teach the other. I think that's a really good analysis. I, I guess the counter argument from the gumbled tendency, if we could call it that, would be, well, let's actually look at what is effective. And it is unambiguously true that orders of magnitude more people I guess have come to faith through alpha than being shouted at through a megaphone on the street which is what Sutcliffe does in his spare time do, do you think there's a case of saying well let's just look at the numbers you know the the pragmatic safe alpha method is just more successful in 21st century Britain at winning people to faith and I, and I think that's why the pragmatic argument has largely won is people are open to that the, the critique you can make of the pragmatist is just asking the question is God a pragmatist hmm. Um, because I think someone like Joshua Sutcliffe would say, well, God calls me to be faithful. God calls me to share the gospel. I believe I'm called to stand on a street corner and and preach the hard stuff about repentance. And I, and I think Joshua is right to say the gospel is a challenging and hard message. It's not it's not necessarily a softly, softly there, there. Jesus loves you. It is equally a Jesus calls you to repent. Jesus calls all of us to repent and turn from from areas in life that have been sinful. And, and I think Joshua is is being quite bold about that. And his argument would be, well, his argument would be, first of all, that people have come to faith through that. And when I speak to street preachers, they're at pains to point that out, to say, we're not just shouting into the wilderness here. We have stories of people actually turning turning to faith. But secondly, why are we doing it? Are we doing it to say this many hundreds of people came to faith? I think jo Joshua would say, no, that's not the motivation. It's not a pragmatic motivation. It's a motivation based on faithfulness. And if God has called me to do this, I will do it regardless of whether one or a hundred people come to know him. I've just got to do what I'm called to do. Hmm. And potentially there's, e there's even a, there's even a kind of appeal to being the kind of John the Baptist figure in the wilderness in, in saying, actually, that is a kind of honourable 
Christian tradition of being despised and cast out and the lone voice and the kind of faithful remnant as the rest of everything falls away, um, which, you know, I guess he, he and that kind of tendency are tapping into. But one of the other things I wanted to ask before we close is, is Sutcliffe has now, you know, famously lost his job as a teacher twice from two different schools. Do you buy the argument that we hear, you know, he's the last in kind of a, the latest in a long line of, of, of cases of nurses and GPs and other public sector workers who are Christians who have, who have fallen out over, you know, what they would argue was just living out their faith. Do you buy the argument that it's getting harder and harder for evangelicals to, to stick in these professions like politics or the NHS or the schools? and hold on to our distinctive convictions? I think it all depends on what you view as compromise. For, for someone like Joshua, he viewed it as compromise to call a transgender child by their preferred pronoun. His, his argument was it's compromising my Christian faith to call you a she when you're a he or he when, he when you're a she. Um, now, I know a lot of Christians who don't take that view. I know a lot of Christian teachers who don't take that view. And, and they would say, out of love and respect for the person in front of me, I'll call you whatever you want to be called. And so actually, if if you don't believe it's compromising on your faith and your convictions to use the preferred pronoun of the child, you're going to be fine as a Christian teacher. You're not going to run into any problems. But but if you do view that as compromising, clearly Joshua did, that's where it's going to become more tricky. Now, we should say, of course, that teachers are awaiting government guidance on how to deal with the transgender issue in schools. That's not really fixed yet. And I think it is a very difficult one to figure out. But... <clears throat> A very difficult one to, to, to figure out. But I think um, that's the issue for me is, is what is compromise? Because there have been those cases where, I mean, the, the gay cake was another classic example, wasn't it? Of is it compromising my, my Christian faith to make a cake that says support gay marriage? Is, is that compromising my faith? If it is, then yeah, it, it might be hard for you to be a, a Christian baker and offer that service. But if it's not compromising your faith, I think you'll be fine to it. So that's that's the key. What's compromise and what's not? Um, and, and how you answer that question will depend on how you perform in your profession. I guess the other angle, though, is that some people make the case that it's not just about the regular kind of everyday, where do you draw the line and what are my red lines? But it's that actually some people say that there is a, a kind of liberal secular elite in a lot of these institutions, which is actively trying to root out evangelical Christianity from the public square that says, even if you are able to kind of make your peace and, 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 you know, use preferred pronouns, the simple fact that you don't believe, for example, that's, that's a child can change sex, even if you keep that belief to yourself is kind of inimical to, to the culture we're building in the school. And therefore, we're going to try and find a way to get rid of you. Um, do you think that is something that we need to fear? Or is you know, is that slightly overblown? I think that's um, something Tim Farron's had a lot to say on in recent years. And this distinction between what kind of liberalism are we talking about? Because Tim Farron is from the old school of, of liberalism, uh, which I think is one most Christians would, would, would be more tempted to agree with, which says, you can have your view, I can have my view, and we tolerate each other's view. And I think Tim Farron and others have rightly criticised this kind of new in the it's called the intolerance of tolerance this this new liberalism that says actually there are certain ideas including christian ones that are out of bounds entirely and as you say if you hold them we're going to hound you out of public life and, and that's connected with cancel culture and, and other things we've seen like that the kind of new orthodoxy of if you step outside of these bounds and cancel you forever and um 
not let you do your job or, or have any kind of public platform. So I, I think that's a real phenomenon. I mean, ask someone like J.K. Rowling, you know, incredibly successful author who has genuine convictions around feminism and where it's clashed with the right with trans activists has literally found herself cancelled, uninvited from things. Now, she's okay because she's, as she said before, she's a multimillionaire, she'll be all right. But the point is, if that can happen to a J.K. Rowling, it could happen to a Joshua Sutcliffe, it could happen to you, it could happen to me. And so I think I think Christians are right to be concerned about that kind of intolerance that has been growing in society. I think you can argue as well that, that perhaps Tim Farron himself was a, was partly a victim of that. It was it was quite clear, if you remember that case, he couldn't do the top job as a Lib Dem and hold Christian convictions on sexuality and, um, and the rights and wrongs of, of homosexuality specifically. Uh, and that's the question we've all got to ask in society. Are we going to tolerate the views of those we disagree with and say, for example, you're a local Muslim MP. You and I disagree on all sorts of theology, but I respect your right to hold that office. And I'm not going to hound you out of office because you're a Muslim. Um, and, and that's where I think, you know, the shoes on the other foot sometimes for Christians. We want to campaign a lot about Christian rights. Are we willing to extend that to the rights of other people? And, and what I want to see is a, is a tolerant society that works always, where Christians are tolerate tolerant of people who are gay and gay people are tolerant of Christians. So that's what we've got to work towards, a society where actually that form of liberalism, where you and I can hold different opinions, but still work together for the betterment of society, that's where we've got to try and get to. And lastly, then, does that mean that we, even those of us who might find the kind of Christian concern approach, the Sutcliffe tendency kind of a bit, a bit excessively antagonistic, maybe we should be grateful that they are fighting in the courts for freedoms and liberties, which ultimately we will all enjoy? Yes, I think these cases are, are pushing the buttons of free speech. They're these kind of test cases to say, how far are we willing to go as, as a society in allowing even the more extreme Christians in some cases to, to still have their views? And, and you know, the, the kind analysis of a Christian concern, you know, the, the most charitable way of putting it would probably be to say, look, these could be the canaries in the coal mines. So you and I may not agree with a Joshua Sutcliffe view on um, death penalties for adulterers. But but the point is, are we going to let even the Christians we think are, you know, they're a bit outside the mainstream, they wouldn't do things the way we do. The point is, if, if and it's an if, but if they're being hounded out of mainstream positions like teaching, then there is a duty to a certain extent to say, well, we have to stand up for those guys because if, if they lose, it could trickle down and become harder for other Christians who are more mainstream. So there is a kind of canary in the coal mine argument here, which I think has to be heard. And, you know, I think there are, and we, we at Premier Christianity magazine, we've, we've published, uh, we've done uh, interviews with Christian concern cases. Uh, we've covered a lot of their stories. We've also covered criticisms of them. And that's how we've handled this particular story because we think they're legitimate um, sides to hear. And I think there are genuine debates, but, but the one thing I will say is these cases do keep coming. And I think we have to acknowledge that and say these, they're not being they're not being made up. You know, there are cases after case now, whether it's teachers or preachers or employees. Um, and I think we've got to put some significance in that. There does seem to be a rising number of these kind of cases of Christians struggling to outwork their faith in public life. And we can debate the rights and wrongs of how you outwork your faith in public life and that question over what you compromise on. But there are cases out there. So I think we need to be wise to that because that, I think we should put some significance in the fact these cases do keep coming. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, Sam. Great to talk to you as always. Um, I'm sure we'll be having you back on the podcast in, in no time at all. Cheers. Thank you.
That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 